Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C, Walker. Yes, that's right. It is me. And we have been listening to the tune, I Love You, off Jeff Miller's Can You Hear the Music CD that he did a number of years ago. And it was recorded live, if I'm not mistaken, in Pittsburgh, which is his hometown. And Jeff is on the line with me right now. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Todd. Now, I'm sure to call you Todd C. That's okay, whichever. <laughs> hey, am I correct that you recorded that live in, in Pittsburgh? Yes, went back to Pittsburgh, wanted to do that in front of a hometown crowd. Now, but that was not your first CD. Right. Um, that was my fourth album. First, to... uh, first live in front of an audience album, though. Now, was that nerve-wracking? Yes and no. Um, I had done a lot of shows. In fact, um, that year I did the most shows in my career, making 198, I think. People made fun of me. They like, why didn't you just do two more shows to get to 200? <laughs> um, but that week in particular, I don't, I don't like to sing very much in the winter. And we did that um, the last Saturday in December of that year. And... Um, because I thought there'd be a lot of people who maybe had moved away from Pittsburgh who might want to come out. It would be home visiting uh, family members uh, for, for the holidays. And, um, but that week I got a really bad sore throat and um, I was nervous the whole week. I had a sore throat the, the day of the concert. I thought I wasn't hitting notes that I did when I went back to listen to it. Like I was nervous to go back to the studio to listen to the tracks because I thought they were there was going to be pitchy vocals all over the place and uh somehow there there weren't we didn't use any auto-tune or anything in fact that's something that i'm kind of i don't know a big opponent <laughs> of <laughs> on vocals at least um uh and yeah and but wouldn't uh, oh i'm sorry go ahead sorry <laughs> i was gonna say wouldn't auto-tune mess up the rest of the because it was all it would, it would try yeah to it would everything. have that's a yeah. that's a good point because because there were microphones everywhere and yeah um and the guitar would have gotten picked up through the vocal mic and vice versa so yeah that yeah an auto tune would have yeah made it sound very strange probably well what people, <laughs> some of the folks who are listening have never heard of you i'm sure because this goes out to every it's a global podcast the uh, cool. for some reason we have an awful lot of um, listeners in asia which surprises me but we also get in england germany italy you name it uh, canada Great. south america the but many people don't know who you are so they're if they want to know more they can go to jeffmilleronline.com that's his website but explain to people because most people listening to that tune or that song would assume that you are tracking it which you mm. are in a way, but not how they would normally think. How do you do it? Right. So um, this is maybe not as uh, rare a thing now. It's a little more ubiquitous than it was um, 10 or 20 years ago. But I use, um, during my live shows, I use a couple of looping pedals. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with looping, it is, like you said, um, I am tracking myself, but it's all live. And I have a pedal at my foot that my guitar is plugged into. In my particular case, I can't can't plug a, a microphone into it unless I use a transformer. 
adapter of some sort. So I do everything through my guitar, even background vocals. Got a microphone as part of my pickup system in my uh, Martin guitar. And I will turn the guitar around and sing into the sound hole uh, to do to do vocals. But to answer your original question, so a looper, um, anything I can do on the guitar, I can tell that looping pedal to record in real time. So I might start with a bass line. I think that example that you played with, I love you, starts with a bass, a bass line. And I hit the pedal and it immediately plays that back. And I can record on top of that if I want to. I don't have to, of course. And I could also save that um, original recording for later in the song. And I think that's what tricks people sometimes because they don't remember that I played it earlier. And they're like, whoa, wait, <laughs> why did why did that music start playing? Um, and it's because I played, I recorded it and then stopped the looper and didn't, didn't make it obvious that I was looping. Um, but it's basically like a little portable foot controlled recording studio i guess you could say minus the bells and whistles and eq and compression and all the studio uh tools but if you record say the bass part leading in and then a light little lead that's going to kind of be in the background and then some tapping those are all separate loops am i correct no um i think there are looping pedals that treat it that way i use um older <laughs> my main looping pedal i got uh, the original one back in 1998 um, to date, to, I guess to date me here. And then <laughs> I got the second version of that same looping pedal, I think about three years later, there were some issues with the, the very first uh, boomer, my, at least my very first boomerang had a technical, I don't, I don't know what caused it, but um, had an issue with it that I needed to send it in. And by the time that I sent it in, they had come out with the second generation. So I think it was 2001 or two, I think one we'll, we'll say one when i got my second generation pedal and i still use that one 20 years later and that one and a lot of other loopers especially single pedal loopers um operate this way where whatever you record as your original loop um that is the file and if you record on top of it you're just changing the file so it's still it's just one one loop in that sense there are other looping pedals that have different banks like, so I could press number one and start looping. And if I record on number one, that's the number one loop. And then I could start recording on number two and start looping. But anytime that an overdub is recorded on top of an original loop, that becomes part, that's imprinted on that file. And it becomes part of that file, if that makes sense. It does. No, I'm, I'm curious. Like you said, you purchased your first one in like 1998 or so, and then the mm -hmm. follow-up one in 2001. And you've kept it all these years. Have you kept it and not upgraded to, say, a different brand because you're so used to it and it works for you? Or, or? That's a good question. Um, I think part of it is that, but another part of it is the controls on that pedal. I have not found another pedal that has quite the same controls. So what I'm using for any loop enthusiasts out there um, is the boomerang plus phrase sampler. And the plus just indicates that it's version two. Um, the original was just the boomerang phrase sampler. And this is the boomerang plus. Um, and if you are looking for them, they don't make them anymore, but you could probably find them used. Um, if someone listening wants to look for one, you have to make sure there's a plus symbol on the face of the pedal. Um, and so your question was um, why I stuck with that with that same looper for so long. 
one of the main things is on the far left of the pedal is a roller wheel. Um, imagine a big dial, like a big radio dial volume knob um, turned on its side 90 degrees so that you can drag your foot over it rather than having to bend down and turn it with your hand. You can, it's um, just a turned volume um, knob basically, but it's built into the pedal. And I, I don't know why, but I have not seen any companies uh, or any other looping pedals that utilize that type of um, volume control. And what that volume control does is it controls the level of the loops that I've recorded. So, um, sometimes, especially with the less sophisticated, um, looping pedals, someone might be performing. And then if you stop the loops, then there's this abrupt end of all of this soundscape that the performer may have performed, um, beforehand. And it sounds kind of jarring, um, with the boomerang and that volume control, I can slowly fade those loops out. So it's not, so it's more, you know, delicate, more elegant, perhaps, um, um, and less jarring and um what else each that the boomerang plus and the original boomerang have i think it's five dedicated buttons one on the left is to record the original loop and one next to that is a place slash stop button um so at the end of recording the loop you can just stop it and save it for later or if the boomerang is in standby mode basically you press that play button and it'll start your loop and then the middle button i believe is the uh, a a b or a once button i use it as a once button which means i can tap it it'll play the loop uh one repeat and stop on its own and i don't have to worry about stopping it um and there's another functionality where the boomerang could store two different loops an a loop and a b loop but it's kind of complicated and i've i've messed around with it a little bit but it's too complicated to use musically in a in a live setting i think and then next to that button is a reverse button which um, allows me to make the loops go backwards which i do on a handful of my songs um i'm a big fan of backwards guitar probably because of my affinity for the beatles and then finally on the far right is the, they call it stacking. It's the overdub button. And the nice, another th nice thing about the boomerang, most looping pedals that I've come across, actually, I think all of the looping pedals that I've come across, except for the boomerang, treat this overdub button in what they call, uh, what boomerang at least refers to as latching mode. And that means if I press the overdub button, it's going to record until I press that button again, and then it'll stop recording. With the boomerang, you can you can have it operate that way, but you can also call uh, set it to the setting that they call momentary. And what that means is that whenever my foot is on the pedal, it is recording, which sounds like a minor thing, but there are some neat little stutter effects that you can do to bring parts in and out, which would be virtually impossible to do without that function. And I like just knowing that I just like the feel of, you know, having my foot down to record. And when I lift, lift my foot, I know it's not recording. Now, do you have a backup boomerang? Have you been able to purchase a second one in case this one meets <laughs> its demise since it's no yes. longer made? Yes. So it's, it's, uh, this is kind of funny boomerang, um, boomerang as a company, 
the original company does not exist anymore. Um, the last that I heard, a company in California bought out, um, I, I don't know if it's just the naming rights or whatever, but they bought out uh, the Boomerang Musical Supply uh, or Musical, I don't know if that's Musical Products, I think is their full name, Boomerang Musical Products. But a company in California bought them out. Um, Boomerang was just these two guys in Texas. And if you called their 800 number, you got one of them if they were available, um, which is pretty great. Um, I don't know of any other company that would have been like that for so long. Um, one was like the engineer and one was the creative, uh, not that engineers aren't creative, but the musical guitar player side, I think that's the way they kind of worked. And um, so you asked me if I, if I have a backup and I do, I have two boomerang pluses, um, but boomerang made a third um, that they just called the boomerang three. So there's the boomerang, which I owned in college and which kind of, crapped out on me and then i got a boomerang plus which i still use and then i want to say around 2010 maybe a little earlier 2008 maybe the boomerang 3 came out don't quote me on that year it might have been earlier than 2008 but the boomerang 3 came out and they they completely revamped it they added some interesting stuff but to me it all seemed like bells and whistles that were distractions from trying to do everything live and i've seen some people use it well live but for me i was so used to this goes back to your earlier question of why i keep using it um i was so used to using it that i didn't want to relearn a whole set of controls and they also took out the volume wheel on the on the boomerang three which um, I think a lot of Boomerang fans wrote or called in to them to complain about this. And then they later released the volume wheel as its own separate thing that you had to plug in to the Boomerang 3, which I think was a shame. Um, but yeah, when the Boomerang 3 came out and I realized that I didn't like the setup of it very much, I called them and asked if I could get a second one. And I was a uh, an endorser of Boomerang at the time, so I got it at like wholesale cost which was nice um so yeah so i have two of them and um my my i kind of used to keep one as like my outdoor boomerang and one is my indoor boomerang and i've been using my outdoor boomerang just for everything lately but it has developed this issue where one of the buttons sticks i don't think it's uh irreparable um but that might be a good reason to switch over to my indoor boomerang at least when i know i'm going to be doing uh, less dusty or dirty <laughs> gigs. Now, why did you make the decision to make one an inside for inside use and one for outside use? Was it because of the dirt and dust? Yeah, I think I think I just was a little nervous. It was like, well, that's the whole reason why I would get two just to begin with. But then I thought, like, if if I'm doing like gigs where some people have like what they call beater guitars mm -hmm. or they might have outdoor guitars. Like, so if they know they're doing like a summer tour and they're going to be playing outdoors the whole time, they'll bring this guitar that they don't quite care as much about. Um, and so like, because they know that they're, that guitar is more likely to be, you know, let's get direct rays of the sun and might get, you know, rained on or something like that. So, um, I guess the same kind of the same attitude towards um, having the indoor and outdoor boomerang is like keeping one of them very clean makes me hopeful that it will last, you know, potentially my whole lifetime, you know? Um, and the other one, 
I would expect, you know, some sort of problem to come up eventually, but I do take them apart and like I'll blow compressed air and try to clean them out. And sometimes, um, there's this solvent called deoxit. You might be familiar with it. Um, that helps reestablish contacts between metal inner workings of parts. A lot of people use them on guitar volume, um, potentiometers and other guitar parts, wherever two metal pieces come in contact. Um, so I, I will periodically clean them. It depends on how many shows I do, but maybe, maybe once a year clean out whichever one I have been using a lot. Now you also, and I, I, I didn't notice your, your, your boomerang two weeks ago, three weeks ago when I saw you play mm-hmm. live here in Frederick, but you, you had for a while, one of the TC Helicon dittos, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Do you still use that? Yes. Yes. And I meant to, I meant to mention that earlier when one of the questions that you asked me. So I, I don't know anyone else who does this and I, I, maybe I'm a little crazy. It took me a little while to, to get everything practiced. Well, I use two loopers in the same setup and they can't talk to each other. Like there's no, I mean, it's two different companies. There's not a wire that like syncs them or anything. So if I'm using them both at the same time, I need to be very close, if not perfect with um, my timing. Cause I might set up a loop on the ditto. I mean, on the boomerang and while it's playing, set up another loop on the ditto to play on top of that loop. So I could bring that loop in and out and, um, and uh, yeah, I've been using the Ditto I think since 2014. So I've had a a dual looper set up for almost 10 years now. Does it occasionally does the timing get messed up and you have a train wreck? Um, never a train wreck because I've gotten to the point now where I can tell if my timing is off enough, I'll just stop it after one or two plays through, and it can't. I don't let it get <laughs> so far off or. If I really like the loop that I put, say, on the ditto, um, and I want to keep using it, I'll just have to manually stop it and start it myself. So they at least start at the same time, if that makes sense. Um, and then what, what else? Oh, for yeah, for any guitar nerds or people who are interested in my like signal path, I take my acoustic guitar, uh, which is a Martin Triple O with a Fishman prefix i think is what they call it i get these names mixed up because there's so many names with fishman pickups that sound the same there's the matrix the prefix the ellipse that's all one one company all fishman pickups but anyway it has the piezo pickup in the bridge and then a, a condenser microphone in the sound hole and i can blend between the two of those so i take my my quarter inch cable out of that guitar into the ditto first and then out of the ditto into the boomerang so if i am going to use both looping pedals in one song and I don't want them to record each other. I will record on the boomerang first and then the ditto. Cause if I did it the other way around, the boomerang would re-record what I've done in a ditto. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And sometimes I do that on purpose. There's a song of mine off my first album. Uh, that album's called trying to be cool, but there's a song on there called um, finger on the pulse where I purposely s- send like, so I record on the ditto first and it, that sends to the boomerang and I will do a reverse uh, effect at the end of that song. That's resampling what's in the ditto and is also sampling my live guitar sound at the same time. Well, now that you're mentioning for the second time uh, using reverse or like, mm-hmm. like the Beatles used, uh, yeah. and I'm a big Beatles fan as well. So I'm always 
wondered how they did that. But back then with tape, <laughs> I guess you just reverse the tape or turn it upside down or something. Right. But the, there is a song that I'm going to play. Just I won't play the entire thing. Again, it's off your Can You Hear the Music live CD, but it does bring that reverse in so people can hear it. Is that mm. cool? Okay. Yep. Good After I play this next song, we're going to go kind of a chronological um, as much as I can uh, with some more more personal songs, and we'll go early to more recent, which is what chronological means. But first, we will we will go back to about five years ago. Packed my bags and went over to Nashville. For those of you listening, that is Lost in the Crowd from the live CD. And uh, Jeff, was that, that wasn't, like you said, that wasn't the first time you'd used that in a recording. Uh, the reverse, you mean? Yes. Correct. How did you discover that you could do that? Or did the, the that last button, does it say reverse on it and you were just fooling around with it? Um... Yeah, I, I I knew what I think I'm a I'm a bit I'm a instruction manual reader, <laughs> uh-huh. so I think I I don't know that I read the entire manual, but I, I don't think it's very long. So I might have read the entire manual minus the regulatory notes and legal stuff, um, and so I knew what that button did. And but I, I originally thought of it as just like a novelty, and I was like, well, I mean. Uh, I don't think I'm really going to use this except when I'm just jamming or like playing with the pedal myself. Um, But then the more I thought about it and I think it's best if, if someone is using a looping pedal and wants to use the reverse, unless you're just using it as like a continuous effect where everything that you play, you can hear it forward and then it immediately plays back backwards, which is what people call like a reverse delay, um, which is a, a slightly different thing, but it's, it's, basically the basically the same because a delay pedal is also a recorder um but uh, back to what i was saying i think the best way to use reverse is if you have a melody that you like the sound of a backwards guitar or a backwards whatever and you learn that melody backwards like you learn the way you want it to sound backwards (laughs) and then you then you practice it backwards and then you hit the reverse button and then it'll play it the way you intend it to sound. I hope that makes sense. Yes. Yep. It would be almost like learning to speak backwards. Sure. <laughs> I don't it's, know. It's much harder to improvise that. I do in, in I Love You, um, I think later in the track, I don't think we got to it um, on the excerpt that you played at the beginning. Um, I do that 
later in like an extended solo section where most of the time when i play that song at live shows i do reverse and then i try to approximate quickly what i think it might sound like um it doesn't always work i'm gonna have to step away for about 30 seconds no that's fine while you do that we'll hear a little bit of can you hear the music Okay. Well, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> uh, I guess it wouldn't make more sense to do it now. Like, it, just, it won't take a hot So Jeff, are you back? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to walk outside real quick. No, that's okay. I can uh, I can put you on mute and play more music if you prefer. No, it's okay. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. The, uh, and we need to tell everybody where you are right now while we're doing the podcast. <laughs> at an oil uh, at an oil change place in Nashville, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is where you've lived since when. 2004. Now, what made you make the decision to move from Pittsburgh to the Pittsburgh area to Nashville? I, I never expected to move away from Pittsburgh initially. Um, I went to college in Boston, uh, Berkeley College of Music. And then uh, I moved back to Pittsburgh, uh, lived with my parents for a little while. I taught guitar lessons. And on the weekends, I would do gigs at venues around town. Um, and when I was in high school, Pittsburgh had become a little bit of a like a hotbed for musical activity. Um, the band Rusted Root came out of Pittsburgh, and, and they caused a lot of uh, excitement, I guess. And it seemed like labels were coming around to Pittsburgh to scout out the other Pittsburgh bands and... Um, that was when I was in high school. And when I, when I graduated college, all of that seemed to have kind of fizzed over. And, um, I, I learned the local Pittsburgh scene pretty quickly and I'm an introvert. So, um, I guess that says even more like how quickly someone like me would, you know, I'm not the type to like go out and party or like schmooze or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. I don't, wasn't my scene. Um, and within a year or so, I, I felt like I met most of the 
the players, the main players in the Pittsburgh scene, the people who I had known about when I was in high school. And I thought, Oh wow. I, you know, I don't know if I'll ever do like what they're doing or something like that. And then I, you know, I met those people and did shows with them. And there was a venue in, in Pittsburgh called club cafe. It's still there. Um, great venue. And it was kind of what I thought, like, if I can do a ticketed show there, then, you know, that would be kind of a dream come true sort of thing. And I, I did, I did a show there and that, that might've been kind of what made me think, especially with like how quickly I learned, um, the scene, um, that show may have been a, a little bit of a tipping point. And I did a competition, a songwriter competition, um, in the Pittsburgh area. And I came in, well, I don't think they did placements. They just said who won. And, um, I had a, a talk with one of the other performers there and he took me over to a local diner and said, he, he said to me, you need to get, if you're, if you're serious about this, you need to just get out of Pittsburgh. And, um, I don't think it's as big of a deal anymore, especially with how many opportunities there are online and how much easier it is to get people to listen to you. Um, I don't think the lo location is that big of a deal. But Nashville is a good location for touring. Um, I wanted to, I like the music scenes in like New York and LA more, but LA's really far away. And um, the, some of the culture in LA, I didn't particularly love. And New York, very expensive to live in. And so I had, I had narrowed it down to Nashville and Austin, Texas. And then I looked at the map for Austin. Um, I think I just plugged it into Google Maps and I realized that if I ever wanted to tour, getting out of Texas would take 12, 13 hours. And that just didn't seem like a very feasible way to try to tour. But Nashville is a very good base for touring um, the eastern U.S. And that's mostly what I stick to when I do shows. It's also a very good networking town. Well, and you have met, well, and I said early on when I originally heard you, I don't know if I mentioned it to you, but to someone else when you were coming up and doing the Brewers Alley shows, the, it, um, because you were so good at using the looper so that it was what I would call almost or in, for the most part seamless, other than mm. the fact that we would watch you look down occasionally. And, um, <laughs> there's a lot of times where, I'm watching for your foot to hit a, one of the buttons and I don't even notice that you're doing it. I can, <laughs> I can tell when you're using the volume wheel. Sure. The, yeah. uh, and so I was just mesmerized by the fact that you do it so well because I'd heard other people use loopers, which would be, they would, they would start out and within two minutes, it's just this cacophony or waterfall of sound that just seems like it's going in every different direction, but, huh. but where they wanted it to go. <laughs> yeah. And you were so good at it. And of course, Phil Keggy is known for using the looper pedal in his live shows. And you've actually become friends with, with Phil and recorded with him. Haven't you? Yes. That was something, another dream come true. Something I never, I mean, I, I had met him a couple of times when I still lived in Pittsburgh, but not, never forged a friendship or had the opportunity to perform with him. Um, we had a mutual friend, um, who was kind of my, well, not kind of, he was my link to getting to know him more personally. 
And on my latest album, which is my first instrumental album, it's called Loops. He uh, plays on two of the tracks. We got together. I'm trying to think of what we did that day. We maybe got together for like brunch and then went over to his um, house. He has a in-home studio, as many songwriters, especially in Nashville, have now. And we recorded parts for that, and I finished it um, in my home studio. Well, Harmon Chat, uh, parentheses, second pass, that's with Phil, isn't it? Yes. Well, would you mind if I played that? Because it's only, what, three and a half minutes or so? Sure, yeah, let's, let's do that. All right, here is, and I'm assuming second pass means that was the second take? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember why I decided to put that in there. That must be, I mean, that, that's the only thing I can remember is that, we had tried, we had gone one, one time through and then, um, the second one was, was the more cohesive because what we did. Yeah. What we did in his studio was we tried to do a decent portion of it live together. And, um, I would cut stuff up because it is a loop based, um, album. I didn't use a looper, but I looped parts after the fact, if that makes sense. And I pieced them together in my home studio um, actually it was much more tedious than if we would have been able to use loopers, um, live on the spot. Now, when you do something with like that, with someone of his experience, um, do you have a discussion beforehand as to, well, this is the base chord progression I'm going to be using, or you just say it's going to be in the key of, and then throw in what you want. <laughs> um, I think it depends on the, the artist. Phil doesn't know how to read music and he doesn't really talk music theory very much. Um, and so all that he, I think cares about is being able to hear a, you know, a sample and, and just knowing where it's going to go. Um, so I had early parts already recorded. Um, like it was a minimal, it was just a skeleton of what the song was, but the bass, I had a bass line and a little percussion loop and maybe some background chords. But if, if, if it were a live looping situation, well, I guess it doesn't matter if it's, if I'm talking about live looping or in studio parts, there were maybe four parts already recorded when I went to his house. And so he listened to it and played through it a couple times recorded. And then I, I think we took most of what was from the second uh, take. Well, let's listen to uh, Harmon Chat, parentheses, second pass with Phil Kagey right now. Is that cool? Yep. Here we go. I'm try to pick on this one.
And that was Jeff Miller and Phil Kage in the tune Harmon Chat, parentheses second pass from his Loops instrumental CD. And was that nerve wracking for you the first time you played with Phil? I remember the first time we got together, the first time we got together, we didn't, re- well, we recorded, but we didn't record for this album. Um, Phil, whenever he plays or anytime he has somebody in the studio, he apparently records, <laughs> just lets it run. And um, so we went out for a meal then as well, and then went back to his house and uh, got to know each other a bit, talked and played. And um, I didn't, I didn't freeze up like I thought maybe I would um, in like a situation like that. Um, and everything seemed to go really well, but then, <laughs> um, I got out to my car to, to leave, to drive back home. And I like immediately had like a very upset stomach. So I think I was holding <laughs> some sort of, some sort of anxiety. And, um, but I mean, the way Phil is like, people talk like there's some sort of saying, like you should never meet your heroes, something like that, because oftentimes they're not, the person you have held them up to be in your mind. But mm-hmm. with Phil, with Phil, I would say it was more than the opposite. Like it was like, he was even nicer than I expected. Um, and so I think part of that, you know, led to me just feeling comfortable playing with him. Um, but I mean, again, maybe I wasn't as comfortable as I thought I was. Cause when I got out, <laughs> out to my car, you know, well, we I can, had a, a we, bit of an upset stomach. We can honestly say that, Phil Kagey had the honor of playing with Jeff Miller. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you a, a question. How did you start playing guitar originally? I grew up playing violin and trombone um, as they were introduced in the public school setting in Pittsburgh area. And uh, so that was like age eight to 13. And I continued playing them uh, through high school and I still play violin regularly and I still can play trombone. Sorry. I'm going to let this horn honking stop. That's okay. Is that their, uh, security device going off or are they trying to get into the, uh, the bay? I don't know what they're doing. It's not regular. Um, I can't tell which car it is. Okay. It seems to have stopped. Oh, should I start over that whole thing? No, no, just pick it up where you where you left off. Okay, so I still I still play violin regularly, and I still can play trombone. Um, there's a little bit of a a lip building up that I'd want to be able to do. Like if someone asked me to play trombone, I would have to still work on that. But um, intertwined with playing a lot of music growing up, I also played a lot of video games. And when I got to high school, I had always wanted to play guitar but it wasn't anything that was taught in the public schools. And there wasn't a way to play guitar with other people in, in a school setting, at least at that point. And my parents always like seemed to like push that off to the side. Like, Oh, we don't, you know, we don't think you should play guitar. And um, I don't, I don't know what, what they thought. I always joked that they, that they thought if I started playing guitar, it would lead to a life of debauchery. Um, But before my first year of high school, my freshman year of high school, I decided, um, they said I could play guitar if I bought my first guitar an amp. So I sold all of my video games, which was no small thing to me, but I quit, basically quit video games cold Turkey, except for maybe whenever I would go over to friends houses and we'd play something. Um, 
as far as my own collection, I sold all of that to buy my first electric guitar. It's a red Kramer Focus and my first amp, which I still have. Uh, not the guitar, but the amp. And um, I got really into to guitar in high school. I had a great teacher. Um, and then I started writing songs, and that was the big thing. Like, I originally wanted to be in the Pittsburgh Symphony. I was taking lessons with a symphony guy, so I was I was kind of on that track. And um, when I started playing guitar, I realized that I found more... Um, what's the word? Words escaped me lately. Um, fulfillment. I found more fulfillment from being able to write my own music and perform that. And yeah, you can write music on violin and trombone, but it's pretty limiting, especially if you're going to write uh, songs with, with words. So now did you, when you had the electric, did you get in a band or were you just playing solo? Uh, yeah, most of, most of high school and I got an acoustic shortly, shortly after, but most of high school I played with other people. Um, uh, and I had a high school rock trio. Um, and we, we played sporadically, I would say at, at best we played like once a month at worst, we'd go probably like four months without playing anywhere, but we played, we played every like semester that we were together, at least some event. Now, were you the lead guitar player or the rhythm or both? Both. I played pretty much all the lead parts. The other guitar player was um, a very capable rhythm player, but didn't have the same like music theory background and, and wasn't as comfortable mm -hmm. um, playing lead, especially like improvising. He might have, he maybe would play some of the lead parts if they were the same every time. Right. So, which, what brand of was your first acoustic guitar? My first acoustic guitar was the. I believe that's still true. The cheapest model that Alvarez makes, uh, the Alvarez Regent, and I still think for bang for buck, it's one of the one of the best guitars you can get. So I got that guitar with a case. I think for two hundred dollars, like a hard shell case, and I can't remember. I, I had them put a pickup in it. I think that was after the fact. So when they put this was when acoustic guitars didn't naturally or commonly come with. Uh, pickups built into them and when did what was your next acoustic guitar after that one uh <laughs> i made the jump from from that acoustic guitar all the way to a martin hd 28 um which i bought in in pittsburgh also um for much more <laughs> <laughs> and then had the my first uh pickup system that had a microphone i had that installed after the fact and that's the uh, the Martin that y you played up until a couple years ago when you switched over to the Triple O, right? Correct. Now, why did you switch over to the Triple O? Um, there, there are a couple of reasons for the switch over. One was that I wanted, kind of in the vein of having a backup uh, boomerang, I wanted a backup guitar that had a microphone system in it, um, and they they being fishman fishman stopped making that pickup system the same way i still think they make a version of it um but the microphone is in a different spot and it doesn't sound i don't think it sound i don't think the acoustic guitar sounds quite as good and to try to do the vocals doesn't make much sense either they put the the microphone as part of the ba battery block mm -hmm. which is also part part of the controls on the side of the guitar so that microphone's flush basically with the 
I guess you call it the side. Yeah, the side of the guitar that's facing you when you look down at, at the guitar if you're playing it. So the microphone is nowhere. I mean, it's a very different placement for the for the microphone. Um, I had a friend who wanted me to try out a guitar of his, and it had. That's when I first became aware that they had redesigned it, and I thought the microphone just didn't didn't at least on this guitar that he was having me test out just didn't add much to the the overall sound of the guitar. Um, and there's something else I was going to say. Oh, a second reason. Um, my HD28, and this is. I don't even I don't even know if this was a conscious reason, but I'm thinking about it after the fact. My input jack on my HD28 uh, crackles if my cable turns inside it, so mm-hmm. I need to get that looked looked at. Um, so if I'm just sitting and playing it, or even standing and playing it, but not turning the guitar, it's fine. But because I sing into the guitar, that's an issue. I have to turn the guitar towards me to sing into it, and if that input jack keeps crackling, that's I can't do that because um, that'll get recorded into the loop and it sounds loud and obnoxious as I'm sure you've heard many um, instrument cable crackling noises in your ears playing and helping other people with, with uh, setting up for shows. Um, there was one other thing. Oh, the HD 28, if people are familiar with the Martin models is a very boomy guitar also. So the low end um, can get a little bit unruly. So the triple O body style is about as different as you can get um, in the Martin um, spectrum of models. It's much thinner. um, And this model had the pickup pre-installed, whereas my HD28, I did it aftermarket. And um, the pre-installed pickup has EQ controls as well as the blend and volume. My HD28 only has a volume and blend uh, control on it. So I can't on the fly try to tame those low end, um, notes. If I, if I get like feedback or something like that. And oftentimes my a string would feedback on the HD 28 on the triple O I virtually don't get feedback at all, but that's a, it seems to be a little bit at the expense of around the a string frequency is a little bit weak. I wish I could tweak that a little better but that's probably more than you <laughs> care to know about the reasons for getting that second guitar no no actually because there are many guitar players and many performing guitar players who listen to the podcast and i'm sure there are others who've had similar problems with their pickup systems the yeah. um the other reason quite a few performers especially as we age and you're still a young man but i'm you know i'm <laughs> aging is and i love the sound of a dreadnought but i must admit that an om or triple o is much more comfortable especially when you're standing up and playing right yeah it's so much thinner it is uh easier to to get your arms around basically i don't know about the neck being any better but um just the feel of it like you said it's it rests it sits easier on your body and you can always boost the low end if you want it um, right the um that is a, a main problem especially with the martins and really the older ones is that boominess which sounds so wonderful um, <laughs> if it's not plugged in <laughs> when it's not plugged in but yes yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a problematic uh thing plugged in no matter what kind yeah. of pickup system you have so <clears throat> so what you've been you just got back from your first tour since COVID hit is that correct <laughs> My, what I call my first real tour. I did a I did a 
a spattering of outdoor gigs in the fall. Um, and I called it, I called that a tour, but it was only like 11 shows spread out over three weeks. Um, which is not a typical tour for me. This last spring tour that I just finished was, um, three and a half weeks and like 26 events somewhere around there. Has it become more difficult to tour leaving COVID out of the equation as your family has grown? Yes. Um, that's the short answer. So I'm, uh, married and have two children, a uh, 10 year old son and a five year old daughter who's about to be six and swears she was about to be six for this whole last year. Um, <laughs> Uh, when our son was born, I cut out one of my tours. I used to do two springtime tours. One was a very short tour based around a festival that would have me come out to, to perform in uh, Delaware, Southern Delaware. And um, so when, when our son was born, I cut that tour out. And I really, I really only do two full tours a year, one in the spring and one in the fall. And they're about a month each uh, with an extra weekend, um, like four weeks plus the fifth weekend. And, um, but that's really, that's really the only time I'm away, uh, from my family. So it's, you know, eight to eight, eight or nine weeks out of the whole year. It is condensed into that one month each time, but that's for financial reasons so that I can not have to worry about going back and forth to different places and lose all that time and, and money and gas and, and all the extra logistics that would go along with trying to book book shows by ping-ponging back and forth and taking you know more days off i try to do as much as i can in those months uh, so that i i might have a day off or something each week but usually no more than that um and then i also would do a summer tour which pre-children was almost the same as far as figuring out how to book shows and lodging and stuff like that. But now with children, the summer tour is kind of like what my spring offering was last year. It's a smattering of, of, uh, I think I said spattering before I meant smattering, um, a smattering of, of gigs, uh, just where, I, where, I, where I can get them and, and a more limited geographical area. Cause logistics are much harder when you're traveling with, uh, three other people, two of which are, children now do you get to perform in and around the nashville area much i mean i i could um i haven't i mean well COVID, of course um i haven't i haven't played any tennessee shows since march of 2020 but i had a regular um like restaurant um gig there's this place called the goat and they're headquartered out of i think columbus ohio but they have several uh, key like metropolitan areas where they've set up these locations. And, um, there are three of them in the, in the Nashville area. And I've played, played all three of them and they were kind of my go-to, <laughs> my go-to, um, <laughs> sorry. That was quick. That was, it took me a second to catch on. <laughs> Not on purpose. Um, now I'll be thinking of other wild stock or, uh, that's not the word. I can't think of words. Um, okay. Livestock jokes. There we go. Um, uh, but that had kind of been my go-to. I don't play downtown Nashville because it's honky tonks and and people. I probably get booed off the stage because <laughs> people want 
country music down there most of the time there was a cool venue every once in a while an alternative venue will pop out pop up and and venues do turn over pretty frequently in the nashville area so now now it's probably the best time for me to start doing my homework again on trying to find some um other venues in the nashville area but i do have a couple house concerts coming up um in the nashville area uh and one in chattanooga uh before the end of the year and i love doing house concerts they're my favorite favorite types of shows to do and i'll i'll take one house concert over five other traditional venue gigs any anytime well you know i need to since you're going to be playing in chattanooga which is what an hour mm. and a half two hours from nashville is that, is that well it's about two hours yeah yeah my my brother and his family live in signal mountain which is just up oh, above yeah and they i'm actually probably gonna be closer to them than chattanooga there's an area called dunlap uh tennessee where i'm doing a house concert in august that's right it's right up the road basically yeah the um but they are very active their their middle son is very active with the community center on signal mountain and they have a great little uh auditorium i guess is the and they, wow. they also have an outdoor um performance okay. area and off in the coming weeks i will put you in contact with uh with with them um, thank you because it might be something where you could piggyback and get two gigs yeah yeah uh, but it's really a, a, a wonderful place we got to see a play there and it was just wonderful and this is just before covid hit but i'll I'll, yeah. I'll follow up with that with you on that one but the um now what's the future hold for jeff miller what's your your goal or your plan assuming that the world is going to open up back to normal <laughs> or close yeah i'm finally operating that way um i uh has has somewhat hesitatingly but now finally feeling like hopefully we're in the yearly shot um flu shot type stage for covid mm -hmm. and which means that we can go back to hopefully normal ish um at least in the united states and what that what that means for me is just getting back to booking tours fully with the expectation of being able to do all you know all the dates which which for me means um starting to book dates about a year in advance for um especially for concert series that might book up quickly or only have one concert per month um things like that um and i started sending out some emails for spring 2023 uh shows already and um but first i need to fill in the fall tour dates um i started doing a songwriting series uh where i attempt to write a song every week um it sounds a little bit more ambitious than it actually is in my case because many weeks it's just impossible and i don't have access to time with my guitar or even my guitar if i'm not in um in the area of my house um so but i have written a lot more in the last year or so than i had prior to that um which has been great and i'm very thankful for that um so i hope to i hope to release an album by the end of next year um usually usually these things take longer than our, our initial hopes or plans um but i have enough songs now to to sit down and record a another album and uh that's that's most of the next you know couple of years at least uh planning 
Now, would you record that in your own home studio or would you hire, hire out? Uh, probably both. So I've had a lot of time to think about this. Um, and I, the way we did Seesaw, which was my third album, and that was recorded entirely at someone else's studio. Um, and we recorded the bass and the drums and I've just played like a scratch acoustic part and sang the vocals just as a, a way to keep everybody um, together in the, in the plan of the, each song. Um, and I really like the idea of having bass and drums at least recorded and then taking those files to my, my studio. Um, at the very least, I'd probably go and get the drums recorded with a, a, track, uh, a, a scratch acoustic track or electric depending i guess it doesn't matter um at another person's studio because i don't really have room in my house to set up a live drum kit and and live track that stuff so at the very least i would i would want to get the drums somewhere else and then bring those files into my studio and do all the overdubs um at my home now is your home studio um it's is it basically a, a desktop or a laptop with you know garage bands or something on it what do you use yeah um I, I i have a mac mini now that i use with uh logic which is i guess the extended version of of garage band if you want to call it that logic is uh the more fully um well, fully featured it's the professional version, I think, of Garage Bands. Wouldn't that yeah. be a, a good way to explain it? Yeah, and it's very, it's very affordable. It's only two hundred dollars right now. I think a lot of those um, software for recording has come down in price, but I think Logic might be the most competitive. Um, but yeah, they all do, they all do the same things. I originally got into Logic because a friend of mine had recommended it because it had more MIDI. Uh, capabilities like mm -hmm. had a bigger library of MIDI instruments and stuff, but I think a lot of the other um, software has caught up in the meantime. That was a pretty long time ago when I first started using Logic. Now, do you ever think about what life would be like if you'd stayed with the orchestral side of your life? Huh. I wouldn't say that I don't ever think about it, but I don't think about it much. Um, if I think mostly I'm thankful that I didn't do it, although I, violin is my first love and probably the instrument that I love the most, um, the creative side of it. Um, and I do think there's obviously you can express your own creativity when you're playing someone else's music. And I felt that I was doing that before I started playing guitar, but um, songwriting has just become a big in just in my life in general songwriting became such a big um goal and you know um part of my musical expression that that i don't i don't uh regret you know committing more completely to the guitar when i did now playing violin and since you know you know many many folks think that a fiddle and a violin are two completely different instruments <laughs> and do you play fiddle tunes as well or do you pretty much stay with the classical side now i mean most of the time i'm playing violin it's either uh teaching lessons or uh adding to my own recordings or playing uh for my church 
mm-hmm. and um every once in a while there's some like bluegrass ish old hymns or something that we'll do in a bluegrass um format and but most of the time i'm playing mandolin if i play that um but if i play violin i mean i i do have a classical heavily classical uh upbringing and background in playing violin um and that's kind of where my mind defaults to but i love the sound of strings in uh rock and pop music too that might also come from listening to the beatles i'm not sure um and a lot of those arrangements i guess tend to the classical side especially if you had uh george martin um organizing those sessions and writing those parts out imagine that fully fully answers your question oh a bit of trivia about fiddle versus violin um whereas the, the the body of each instrument i believe is the exact same the bridges are different um on fiddles typically the bridge is uh flat more flat at least a violin is a very curved bridge which makes sense if you're using a bow you don't want to play two strings at the same time at least right. you know most of the time i mean there certainly are exceptions to that where music is written on purpose to play more than one string at one time but on in fiddle music a lot of times you do want to play maybe even more often than not play two and two strings at the same time so the bridges are fashioned uh more flat to facilitate that i would imagine the fretboard itself would be have less curve to it as well to match the bridge that i don't know i think i I, probably some makers who have tried to do that but uh i don't i don't know you know who would know that question is david bromberg okay because he, when he got out of playing guitar for uh, many, many years, he lives in the Wilmington, Delaware area, or he, he did, but he got into repairing, and I don't think he oh. builds them, but he was he was one of the yeah. largest violin purveyors, I guess, in, in either the United States or the world. Oh, wow. Um, so he would know that the answer to that question. So just give him a quick ring and say, "Hey, you know, hey, David, is, <laughs> let's get him on a conference yeah, call." Yeah, right it's, now. it's Jeff Miller. Just, just quick question. <laughs> well, this has been wonderful, Jeff. I, you know, I miss seeing you on a more regular basis because you're always one of my favorite performers. But also, you and Jeff Talmadge, and I'm not sure if you're aware of Jeff Talmadge. Comes out of, I think he's out of Atlanta now, but he was out of Texas for a long time. Former attorney. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out why I know why I know his name, but go ahead. But the of of all the performers who came through the Brewers Alley Monday Night Songwriter Showcase Series or the Frederick Coffee Company or any of the Frederick area, greater DC area, um, you and Jeff are the two easiest to jump from, at least from a from a listener or the person in the audience or running the show, to jump from full on performer to just regular person to chat about stuff. Oh, it's very easy to, you know, just launch right into a conversation yeah. about capos or strings or, <laughs> sure. you know, without any, right. you know, you're, you're never, yeah, we lo- talked about, we talked about elixir strings at, at the, uh, yes. at my gig yep. when you came out. <laughs> a- absolutely. So this has been wonderful. I do appreciate the fact that you're taking time away from getting the oil changed in the car, which I'm sure <laughs> it needed it after the tour. And I have a coolant leak. Apparently that was what uh, the first time I needed to, to pause. Yeah, you know, it's so it never we'll see what that's about. Yeah, I've, I've got uh, I have to put shocks and rear brakes on my my little Fiat coming up. Uh, and, and every time I go to pick it up, they go, you know, you need to do right. these things. It's like, we'll, we'll do that later. <laughs> yeah. 
So, when you say need, what yes. do you mean? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I hope you have a tremendous rest of your day, and uh, I hope to get to chat with you again sometime soon. Thank you, Todd. Likewise. All right, Jeff. We'll get back to your car. Okay. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Jeff Miller, Jeff Miller Online. He's a wonderful performer. If you have not ever seen him live, do yourself a favor and pick up his Can You Hear the Music CD. Um, you can either do it as a digital download sticker or a compact disc. It's $15. That'll give you a good idea of what he sounds like, more so than just the cuts I've played. The loops where he does two of the... Um, tunes with uh, help from Phil Kagey. That's also a wonderful one. And then the one that is more of a produced CD is just titled Seesaw, Jeff Miller Seesaw, and it's a, a road sign with a seesaw emblem on it. And we're going to be finishing the show with a tune called Can't Take It With You from the Seesaw album, and this is it. You're gonna die one of these days You may not like it but it's true just the same And so am I One of these days And then we'll both be gone For someone to take our place And all the stuff That we saved up Will be reused by someone else And the cycle will repeat Because you can't take it with you when you go just got your soul, you just got your soul, oh you know, you can't take it with you when you go, no you can't take it with you when you go. Just don't matter, but you fool yourself, they might And your grip is just a little too tight And if you squeeze too hard, then you force out the life Before too long, you're broken down And you're just left there Just got your soul, oh you know You can't take it with you when you go No, you can't take it with you when you go Where is your heart? Where is 
The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by me, Todd Midlandishal C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me, at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link wispymopmusic.podbean.com and podbean is spelled p-o-d-b-e-a-n or you can find the show on either itunes or apple podcasts thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time